are listening to Up To Me Radio, the best in inspirational talk radio. It's up to me. Hello, my friends, and welcome to Coffee with Kim. I invite you to journey with me to a new day. I believe God has led you to this moment and this place because he is about to bring purpose and potential to your story. So join thousands of women and men from around the globe who have discovered how powerful their stories become once Christ touches them with his purpose. Don't you long to make this same discovery? Then grab your coffee, scoot in, and join me as we let God's Word reveal how every part of your past has been preparing you for this very moment. What is a parent's worst nightmare? I'm sure you could name many, but I know one to which we would all agree. A late night call from a coroner telling you that your child had just died. What do you do? Where do you go when death breaks the circle? Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Coffee, Conversations of Friends of Faith to Encourage and Equip. I'm Kim Crable, your host. Today's guests have lived what we would consider the worst nightmare ever, and they've written a book, When the Circle is Broken, to describe with great honesty and vulnerability not only the depth of their pain, to which I'm sure none of us could ever imagine, unless you've experienced it, but also the surprisingly glimpse of joy amid that sorrow. Today, I am grateful, honored, and truly blessed to have joining us from Baltimore, Maryland, my friends, Bob and Jeannie Arnold. Welcome, friends. It's so great to have you here on Coffee. Yeah, and we're honored to be here with you also, and uh, just, just so glad to get the opportunity to tell our story. Yeah, well, it is, it is a story. Hey, Jeannie, I know you're Miss Quiet back there. Say good morning. <laughs> <laughs> so let's, you know, and I say our friends, my friends, because Jeannie and I worked together um, in ministry for a number of years, and I was I was telling Bob before, and of course, Bob has helped me. Um, um, look over some teen materials of which I was so thankful because of his the, the ministry he had been led to before and and so I, I was joking with Bob it's like if anything went wrong on ministry days I'd say go get Jeannie Jeannie can handle it <laughs> and so she could <laughs> so we're so glad to have you this morning before we get into um, the story which I will just tell you know friends Listeners, I'll just tell you right now, this is a hard this is a hard one for me because I know these people and I love them, and um, you know we we hurt with those who hurt, and I love that they are going to also uh, share with us the joy that they found in Jesus through this tragedy, but we're still human and we still hurt with our friends. So you know if you, you might hear me shedding a tear or two, but you know I have such great admiration for people who go through. What I would I I still consider how would I how would I even how would I even think that I could get through something like that? But to see people that you admire and that you love go through something like that, and then to be able to give it as a help to others, as a voice of God's hope, is so amazing to me. And it's to me, it's no more more you, you can't get more like Jesus than to do that. So I just honor this couple before we even get started with, with what they're about to share with you and the, the places of pain that they're going to share with us today. So I just want to, you know, just from the forefront say if I start stuttering or you, if I just stop talking, it's probably because I'm just, you know, I just love these people so much and I, it grieves me to know the grief that they have. But then the joy that comes when when uh, we get into this book that we will get into. So before we get into that, though, I want you to know a little bit more about my friends, uh, Bob and Jeannie. So, guys, y'all y'all were real busy in, in teen ministry for a number of years. Tell us about that. Well, we were involved in Youth for Christ for 40 years, and so we went through a lot of generations of, of young people, and just it was a great privilege to just be involved in, in, you know, just impacting so many kids' lives through through time. And the other thing is, you know, one of things that God gave us a privilege for, for is 
we had over 125,000 young people come to our conferences in, in Ocean City, Maryland, over over 25 years. And so I was the director, and Jeannie was sort of in charge of creating the culture of the whole convention center. And her and her courage, basically, they went and met with the director of the convention center. He said, well, you could use the whole convention center. And they go, yeah, let's go for it. They didn't really think about how much it was going to cost. <laughs> so It worked. <laughs> And it turned out to be just spectacular. <laughs> and the interesting thing, Kim, get too involved in this, but 40 years before that, I was walking the cities, walking the streets of Ocean City, and was considering committing suicide. So it's an amazing thing in terms of the mercy of God that 40 over the next 40 years that He allowed me to have the privilege to impact that many young people at that conferences. Yes, we had a theme every year, a different theme, and it was my job to create the culture. So if you've been to the convention center, when you walk in, it's huge and open. And so I had a team that we tried to figure out uh, what we wanted to do. And when kids came in, they're all looking up, and they're so happy and excited, and that just begins the, the whole weekend for them. Wow, 125,000. Amazing. And what's amazing is I didn't know that. I, uh, Bob, I didn't know that about you 40 years yeah. earlier. So, boy, what I can do with a life that at one time seems feels hopeless, right? Right. Wow. And just the that's amazing. great that's, that's, God, you know. Absolutely. And that's a word for somebody that's listening today. Right there, that's a word for someone that's feeling hopeless, that what God can do when you just hang with him right just keep keep your yep. eyes on him yeah absolutely well you all have been really busy there's so many things that you've done you you've got a great family you're very involved in your church you are contributing uh editor to life application bible oh my gosh all the things you all have done it's amazing and you think about that and you you look at that and you think well surely god will make their lives just wonderful because they're serving him in such a way but that's just not the way it always goes, is it? Uh, we Tragedy comes to those who are most faithful to God as well. So let's begin there and let's talk about, um, you know, when I began the show, I talked about that you two have experienced one of the parents' worst nightmares. Tell us what happened. Well, I, yeah. got, I got the call at 2 in the morning, and that, that just started it. And when what the, happened? Uh, the Horry County um, coroner, coroner uh, you know, said, is, is this uh, J- Mrs. Arnold? And I'm like, yes. And he, he just says, Marcy Arnold is dead. And I'm like screaming at him and on the phone and saying, you're a liar. You're a liar. I don't believe you. And I don't even know if I hung up or not. So, you know, Jeannie hands the phone to me and he explains the same thing to me and you know, it's just at that point, everything in our life changed. At that point, we just were helpless. You know, here's Marcy dead seven hours away from us. It's in the middle of the night. What do we do, you know, and try to go for a walk and deal with it. And just you can't escape just the assault of all the thoughts that are coming in your mind and the despair. You know, the thing about death is it holds a hammer over everything. And so at that point... <laughs> Everything we could think of is controlled by death. And, you know, you think, well, I can pray. Maybe God will raise her from the dead. And you just realize just how hopeless that thought is. And what we were left really was nothing we could do. And the coroner thanked us and said, you know, if you need anything, call me back. And here we are just, you know, totally hopeless. Marcy's in, you know, Myrtle Beach, North Carolina, dead. And so we're sitting there. We don't know what to do. You know, I mean, you want to call somebody at 2 o'clock in the morning and even our friends and tell them that, you know, that Marcy's dead. It just didn't seem like the right thing to do. Well, mm-hmm. and so things happen just very well. Like our daughter, second daughter, had her best friend over, Lindsay. And so they heard me screaming upstairs. So they came upstairs and they, of course, found out. So Lindsay calls her dad and then wasn't long within an hour there were like all these people in our house it was crazy and you know we sat with her dad and with our other good friend jim gorman and 
you know, they were very wise enough not to try to give us advice or to say, you know, you know, to say anything. We just sat there and, you know, we're very close friends and just shook our heads. What has happened? How, you know, and no one said anything for, you know, for, for an hour or so. It was just impossible to deal with everything that happened. So, Bobby said something I'd like to dive into. You said they were wise enough not to try to tell us what to do. What, what do you mean by that? Well, you know, I think one of the mistakes that people have when they, when they, you know, approach somebody that just had, a, you know, a fatal death of some kind, and uh, and so to try to give them an answer, you know, oh, everything's great, they're in heaven, and you know, Jesus has got everything under control, or they say, you know, you still got three kids, you know, so, but see, the powerful thing the scriptures tell us, Kim, is in, in the Ecclesiastes, it says it's better to be in the house of mourning than than to be in the house of pleasure. I think what people have to realize when they go to a funeral or with their, someone, you know, that has lost somebody, they don't need to say anything. Their presence is plenty, you know. And so that, you know, I think that's the thing. And so all these friends of ours that sh- showed up, you know, basically their presence meant so much to us. And interestingly, Kim, you know, that the people that were in our ministry Basically, they were the ones that worked the conferences, and they were the ones that showed up at our house and, you know, really were were with us through the whole thing. One very interesting situation, we were talking to Jeannie's sister-in-law, who had been in the funeral business, and she said, this is going to cost between ten dollars and $15,000. I thought, you know, I had $78.47 in the bank, which is normal for a youth mm-hmm. worker. And right. so one of the board members, a guy that's been very involved in our ministry as a volunteer, came up to me and said, listen, you do whatever you want to do with this funeral. Wow. <laughs> and we'll pay for all the expenses. It will be. Wow. It was very, very awesome. You know, it's... Every time I tell that story, I've been telling it for, for 18 years. And you have to cry. Yeah. <laughs> but it's such a powerful thing for people to come and enter into enter into your sorrow and enter into the problems that you face. And it was just such a relief because there's no way we had any kind of resources to pay what it would cost for a funeral. You know, you said yeah. something there, again, that I feel like we need that you said. Um, and I think this is so important. Well, everything you said is but you said they enter into our pain. They enter into our, I, that is such a profound thought that it gives such a visual of people who really care. Don't they don't have to feel like they're standing away from it. They enter into it. I love that. I love the way you said that, Bob. Well, you know the the thing is, a couple of nights later we have a funeral and. You know, the three to five o'clock hour was very full. There was a lot of people there and of course all these people, you know, and it was, you know, really a great thing. So we go back at seven o'clock. By the time we get there we were a few minutes late. The funeral home was packed full of people. So much so that we entered about three steps into the into the parlor and we never got any further than that of just people coming up one after another. And you know, we coached sports, we did you know, youth ministry for so many years, and, you know, all our kids' schools, we had people from every arena of our life there that night, and it was, it meant so much. You know, for years, I could remember every single person that came and just the person in the presence being there, and, you know, again, it's, you know, it's such an important thing in this kind of situation that you just show up and that you're there, and the people know, know that you love them, because it's such a, the pain in this situation is so overwhelming. You know, and, you know, I had my father die, I had my brother die, but there's nothing compared to to what losing a child is all about. And, mm-hmm. you know, you put, we put 20 years into to Marcy's life. We loved Marcy. She was such a great person to be around. And then all of a sudden, you know, she's gone. And it just, you just can't imagine what it would, you know, the pain that you feel in that. And, you know, and, you know, that's, you know, the, Title the subtitle of the book is Deep Sorrow, and, you know, the sorrow is just overwhelming. And, you know, one of the things in writing this book, Kim, that I really felt we needed to do, I know the pain that we went through, and I didn't want to write a happy, happy book that everything worked out wonderful. We had God meet us in amazing ways. But I wanted to let people know 
the deep pain that we went in. And hopefully, you know, for me, I read many of the books that people wrote. It was a great consolation to know that other people went through this kind of pain. And I didn't, I wanted to be honest and let them know that this thing hurt and it hurt deeply. For years it hurt deeply and it still hurts, you know. And so, you know, I think for people it's very important to understand that this is normal for all, anybody that goes through this. And, you know, and so it, it helps to normalize the situation a little bit to help deal with the pain to know that other people had the same kind of pain, you know. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it has to be, I mean, you're right. I mean, for those of us who haven't suffered this type of tragedy, we, I, I know that we, can't, we can only imagine, and even in our imagination, as bad as, as hard as that is, I know it doesn't come close to what you are feeling. But I want to address something here. You know, you all were active in your church. Oh, by the way, I, I did want to go back. It was a car accident, right, that happened? No, she actually died Mar- from an, elect- an electrical uh, problem in her heart. And so she was sitting on the phone talking to a friend of hers, and then the phone went blank, and so the phone, the, her friend thought that the phone went dead. And he tried calling her back, but the phone was busy all the time. But basically, it's you know, it was an electrical short. Of it the was a long QT prolongation. So it's the QT wave in the heartbeat, and it just went flat line. And so that that prolongs, and once it prolongs, then there's unless you have a defibrillator anywhere near, yeah. basically there, you know, within five minutes the person dies, and. Uh, mm-hmm. The uh, I think the a lot of us have heard people that are athletes, you know, who have you know, who basically have, you know, you've seen them on the sports field and then they end up dying in a very very quick way. That's sort of the experience. So um, after all the things happened, we had to live with a uh, defibrillator in our house in case one of the other children would have succumbed to that, and you only have a certain amount of time when you can bring them back as well. What fear you had to face yep. and overcome with this could happen again? Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. That was a very prominent thing and a very prominent fear that Jeannie faced. You know, of just fear yeah. that this could happen. Her kid, how could that? Yeah, I would always look in the rooms and see if they're moving, they're breathing. <laughs> I'm like, it's for a long time. Oh, I'm sure. Oh, I'm sure. Um, so, you talk about. Um, no, I want to go back and ask this. One of the things that I want to ask is that we have a lot of people who are listening now who are very faithful, just like you all have been faithful in church. Not perfect people, no, none of us are, but faithful in church, faithful to serve, faithful to to do what God wants them to do, and then and then tragedy strikes. And I mean, and they're good, godly people doing good, godly things, Jesus fearing, God loving people, just like you all. And tragedy came. Tell us, how did you did you have thoughts of anger toward God? This is not fair, God. Why why us, God? Did y'all tell us about that? Because I know that we have people, I mean, who wouldn't, you know, but I just wanted to ask, how how did you deal with that? I think the initial thing is that for a lot of people, it's, I can see why you would feel like that. How could you do that? You know, that's just insane that that you would take our daughter. But, you know, Life is life. Good things happen and bad things happen. And, you know, I know I knew deep down that it would be okay because God would be with us. And Kim, on the other hand, you know, I didn't feel angry. And I'm not being self-righteous, but I didn't feel angry because I didn't feel like I had the right to be angry. angry. And I don't think that was a strong thing. I think it was, you know, a weakness in my own personality, but I just didn't feel like I could, you know, I could, I could be angry at God for it, you know, and it wasn't because I any any kind of real good ideas. It was just because of my self-image. It didn't feel like I could I could be angry at God. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So, for those who are feeling um, like it's just so unfair. Right now, I guess that's one of the reasons that you wrote this book because it deals with so much of that, um, the sense of 
helplessness and talk about that. You've talked about that a little bit just when you when you're at that funeral and people come up. I mean, tell us about the despair and the hopelessness that you felt cuz I what I love Bob is something that you said is that you didn't write a pretty little book saying, you know, everything's going to be great and you know that you really go into the with honesty and vulnerability that the depth of the pain. And I feel like that's where we really connect with people, not by just throwing Bible scriptures on it or trying to, you know, there's a time for all that. But what you said, just being present with people, but those who are just feeling so hopeless, it's the Christmas season. So many people are losing uh, their kids. We talked about that for various reasons. I mean, how do you speak to the anger and and the hurt of those that are so raw? What would you say to them? Well, I think the thing is, First of all, they, they, they've got to know that the sorrow that you feel, God felt first, you know. And see, we have this perception that these are our children, but we've got to remember that there's God's children first. And so mm-hmm. he felt the sorrow of our, of our losing Marcy before we felt it. He shed tears that we shed. And so, you know, scriptures talk about Jesus being the son of sorrow. And I think so as a result of that, you know, God's got big shoulders. And if you're angry and you feel like cursing and you're just unhappy, you can tell God all those things that it really doesn't bother him, you know. God wants you to do that. And if you look at the Psalms, the Psalms are full full of stories, full of poems of people being very honest about being angry with God. So it's okay before God to be angry. I want to read one part of the book, Kim, just to see after... Marcy died in the first three years. I wrote 1,500 pages in journals. And journals were really the way that helped me to express me, you know, and deal with my sorrow. And they were very helpful. But, you know, I tried to write as honest as I felt at that point. And, you know, there's two possibilities with sorrow. You can try to deny it or you can be honest with it. If you try to deny it, it's too strong and it will overwhelm you and create bigger problems. If you're honest with it and you release it, and we can talk about this more in a minute, uh, sorrow can become your friend. But here's one of the things that I wrote in, wrote in the uh, Go ahead. wrote in the, in, my, in the book. I'm worn out. I'm at the end of all ropes, crushed, near the point of being knocked out. There's nothing left to fight with. I can't take anymore. I don't know how to pray. I don't know what to pray, but help. The life I'm living is so intense, so overwhelming. I don't know if I can go on any longer. I need God's hand to come and restore Give me more vision and more new weapons of warfare. Deliver me into your strength, your vision. Thank you, Spring. Your vision and new weapons of, of warfare. Deliver me into your strength, your vision and might. Father, is there any rest? Is there any peace? And then I looked down at my coffee cup in front of me and I read, stop whining and start paddling. Sometimes God is so empathetic. And so I went to my Bible and I turned to a verse looking for comfort and it says, take up your mat and walk. Oh, if I could find out truly what God is up to. Kim, are you still with us? I am. I'm just soaking that in. Yes, I'm just... Yeah. That's pretty profound to go from one and, and explain explain what you think that meant when God when you were in that deepest despair and God said pick up your mat. Tell us what God what was going on in your mind. What was God revealing to you? Well, you know, in the depths of my heart, I knew God was doing something much greater than anything I could think He was doing. I had mm-hmm. confidence that that was happening, and. Yeah. I also, you know, there's a lot of people in Europe say this, but God is a silent God. And God sits back quietly, and sometimes, you know, you read it in the, in the Psalms. You know, where are you, God? Do you hate me? Have you abandoned me? But God, you know, he never abandons us. He comes even closer. And so I knew God was there. You know, I'm reading John, St. John of the Cross. It says that, you know, we think that we're in deep sorrow that God is silent, but the reality of the matter is he is even closer to us in that than he was before our sorrow. And that the mm-hmm. thing is, we don't recognize his closeness because we're not familiar with that kind of love. And so I knew that. And then, you know, I mean, it was like God's humorous way of saying, oh, don't get too excited here. Everything's under control. <laughs> you know? Take up your mat mm-hmm. and walk, you know. And so, you know, 
So it was, a, you know, a very powerful thing. It's 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 profound. It, you know, it kind of reminds me. I, I think that, you know, it is where God comes and sits in our pain, but He also mm-hmm. beckons us to see that there is a purpose in it. But we must keep going. I remember Bob after mom's my mom's death thirty almost thirty years ago. I remember the deep pain because she and I had just had a reconciliation in our relationship, not you know, just weeks before. And I can remember um, as I'm sharing with this with people, I always try to get them to see what, because as leaving the funeral, there was the most intense, beautiful, colorful uh, rainbow. And, and in the depth of my sorrow, um, I remember God saying, you, you can't give up now. You've got to stand on my promises. And so while I don't understand the depth of your pain, I do understand God calling us from that pain. And you never, you know, I will, I will always miss mother. And, yeah. and it's not any, any comparison to losing a, a daughter. But I do understand, and maybe that is a strong word for someone out there. There, there comes a, God is He sees us, He comforts us, but He's all, but there's a calling in that. Pick up your mat, you know. Don't forget my promises. I'm doing something, and and this book is a huge part of that. Picking up your mat because it is it has become and will become even greater um, as people mm-hmm. learn more about it. Uh, a tool a voice of God's hope from, from the depths of darkness. And, uh, and so I, that, that is a strong word for listeners who are, who, who are listening today and have feel, feel despair and, uh, and pain and you don't know what to do or where to go. You know, God is still there comforting, but he's also calling you forward. I, I know that because that's what God does. So, um, yep. so we're going to have to we're going to take a thirty second break, um, and when we come yep. back, uh, you've said so much that I am, um, you know, I'm one of those people I, I absorb and think about, and and I've read the book and I've seen, you know, but but even the way that you're presenting it, I think is I'm, I want to absorb it, and I more than more than anything, I want my friends who are listening uh, to take the time to absorb this for themselves but also for those who God is going to put along your path who need this information, um, that need this um, inspiration. So um, as we take this 30-second break, listeners, I hope that you'll just take a minute just to pause and you know, allow God to allow you to absorb what he's saying here. And then we're, when we get back, we're going to talk about, Bob and Jeannie talk about uh, honesty as the key to processing pain and getting healthy. And we're going to start that. We're going to start the processing of healing and, and um, how, they, how they are making that journey. And they're going to be giving you some tips on how you can begin that journey as well. So, Bob, Jeannie, we'll be back in 30 seconds. In every family, small conversations can make a big impact. I grew up on tour with my parents. Kind of different, but we bonded over music and we talked. Honest conversations, like when my dad shared his experiences as an alcoholic. Your honesty gave me a sense of integrity that I wanted in my own life. And I wanted you to know from someone who's been in recovery more than 30 years now that hard work is what creates success, not alcohol or other drugs, in whatever you do. Talk. They hear you. Say that we never would want to lose Marcia, mm-hmm. Hello, I, everyone. Hello again. Conversation. Of Friends of Faith to Encourage and Equip. We're so delighted that you're joining us today. Before we get back with our incredible guests, Bob and Jeannie Arnold, the authors of When the Circle is Broken, before we get back to them, I'd just like to remind you to be a part of our ministry. Go to www.rosesandrainbows.org or www.rosesandrainbows.org. KimCrable.org. If you can't remember the Roses and Rainbows, maybe you can remember my name. But we'd love to have you be a part of everything that we're doing. Next year, we're so excited about what God's doing. We are doing a 2022 tour across America. And the theme 
is going to be the ministry of friendship. Why God calls us to this incredible ministry of friendship that we can all do that makes every place that we go significant to us as believers. So find out about us. Come be a part of what we're doing. God is at work, and he is going to be restoring a lot of hurt and pain through the ministry of friendship. So join us www.kimcrable.org. All right. Well, let's get back to our guests today, Bob and Jeannie Arnold, good friends of mine who are living in Baltimore. I've lived in Baltimore for almost 20 years, now back just outside of Atlanta. So I'm not actually with my friends, but, boy, I feel like I am sitting across the table from them because their conversation is so real and so honest. And that's, that's Bob, Jeannie, that's what I love. I don't um, – I remember I was interviewing a pastor one time, and he said, you know, he had just recently accepted Christ. And he said he felt like God was calling him into the ministry. And he said he went to a conference, and there were a lot of, you know, uh, speakers, motivational speakers up there. And he said every one of them, he said it would seem as if they would come out and they'd make this great speech about, um, you know, ministry and what it was like. And he said, it was almost as if they were angelic and they would just float off the stage in all their glory. He said, I looked at my wife and said, I, that's, that's not what my life looks like. I'm battling every day. It's, I'm not floating on that. And, and he said, you know, I just want, and his, his, his theme is to just be real and honest about how hard ministry can be. And I feel, feel like that's where we truly connect. So I appreciate the fact that you wrote a book that really shares the deep, dark moments and, of course, bringing in the, the joys that you found along the way, but uh, that you're really helping people to know that it's okay to be that sad and it's okay to feel that desperate because because that's the truth. Don't you agree? That's really how you feel yep. at those beginning times. Yeah. Well, you know that. So you said, go ahead, Bob. The thing that you just said in terms of that friendship thing you're talking about, I'll tell you this, in terms of dealing with this thing, friends are so important. And like I said earlier, students from Campus Life and our friends stayed with us, stayed with us for a long time, still write notes to us, you know, on the anniversary of Marcy's death. But, you know, (laughs) like the scriptures say, you know, you, you can't walk alone in the middle of something this deep. And those people stayed with us and stayed with us and, you know, friendship is just a very, very vital, vital piece. And anybody that's made it in spiritual life, they've made it because they've been had a very close group of friends that walk with them. Yeah. I, I did a, a short teaching this morning. Moses, the great leader, and how even his in his weariness, you know, he he had to have help, you know, to uh, hold up those arms so he could do what he would what he was called to do. So. You know, you could not have gotten through this without those friends um, who came mm-hmm. alongside you. Why do you refer to honesty as the key to processing pain and, and really beginning to heal and get healthy? Well, you know, you look at the scriptures and it said, you know, when light comes into a darkness, it expels it. And so, you know, mm-hmm. sorrow can have two sides. It can have a very, very dark, ugly side to it. And that happens when you're not really honest with your sorrow and you let that continue to fester underneath, you know. But believe it or not, sorrow can become your friend when you embrace it and come close to it. And one of the things that I, you know, did throughout the book is talk about the times where I just went to experiences and Jeannie and I went to experiences where we got very close to a very important part of Marcy's life. You know, whether like the first year Jeannie made the suggestion that everybody write a note to Marcy and every year we'll keep collecting those notes and no one's going to get to read them till later. Uh, we went down to Myrtle Beach where Marcy lived and where she actually died and we went to that place and got close to it. I, mm-hmm. Marcy went to McDonough School. I went to McDonough School and just hung, you know. And so mm-hmm. when you're there, it's a very, very holy moment, but it's a very, very scary moment. You're walking into something very deep. And as you walk closer and closer to those things, they really do become your friend. And mm-hmm. so, you know, in my journals, I would have some imaginary conversations with Marcy, you know, and that was very helpful. And, you know, I, I started thinking about Marcy being in heaven and 
And the thing that I realized is, uh oh, Marcy knows more about God than I do, <laughs> and she knows more about me than I know myself. But oh. I think those kind of things, and saying a lot of people are very afraid to bring up the name, they're afraid to be anything. That, but I think as you take your time and slowly enter into one thing after another, those things become very, very important. And uh, mm. you know, the the other thing is, you know, Job and his experience. He, you know, he went through those very, very hard times. But at the end of, the, of his experience in, in Job 42, he says, I have heard of you, but now I see you. And mm. what happens when you go through a very, very big experience like this? It's not just knowing about the scriptures, but there becomes a point where you begin to see God. And you begin to see him in the midst of all the things that, that are going on. And it's a, you know, it's a time for really to begin looking and seeing God in our midst. And we have seen God in our midst so many times. It's, it's uh, you know, and we've really felt the presence of Marcy so many different times. You know, I had, had cancer in, a couple of years ago, and so after I have the operation, I'll wake up in the morning, and one of Marcy's friends from 15 years ago, who we've had no contact with 15 years sends me a video of Marcy dancing in the Caribbean with her family. <laughs> now, was that accidental or was that providential? Yeah. So, oh, my. Nothing and, is coincidental, I believe. <laughs> that's powerful. <laughs> yeah. Mm. And then, you know, so we, we had our... Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, please, please continue. And then, you know, we had our daughter, youngest daughter's wedding a couple of years ago. And... Uh, you know, so, you know, Jeannie was really feeling like, you know, it's a shame that Marcy couldn't be with us. And it was really sort of an empty. Well, a lot of people felt that Marcy was with us. But the thing is, on Monday morning, I get an email from a friend of Marcy's who I didn't know. She sent it a messenger and said, I know you don't know who I am. but I was a friend of Marcy's in Myrtle Beach. And Marcy was one of the key people leading me to Christ, you know, <laughs> 15 years later, you know, and then. Uh, at that same time, we didn't see this. And she was, you know, got married two years ago. About three months ago, Dee pulls up a picture from the wedding. And the crazy thing is, it's Julie and Dee posing in the picture. And without them knowing it, a picture of Marcy was right behind them. <laughs> so, that was just, you know, amazing. So, but, you know, God came and met us in so many ways. And Jeannie and I, like I said, would both tell you that we'd never, never, never want to lose Marcy, but we would never want to miss the God that we've met in the times since since Marcy's death. Yeah, nothing budges me. <laughs> Not one thing. What do you mean? <laughs> oh, if anything, anything can happen, and I, I think I would be fine. Because when, when you go through that kind of pain, there's not really too much more pain, more worse than that so except for losing another child of course right is that gosh you just said so much there's so many things there that you said i but i i want to go i want to go to this because i love this question that's in your paperwork and i feel like it's so important for our listeners um, and thank you for sharing all those incredible stories. And those are the moments of joy that, that you talk about that are thread through all of the sorrow, isn't it? Those are those moments of joy that you're, you're the surprising joy uh, that yeah. God surprises you with little things along the way. Yeah. You encourage the book, you encourage the readers to stand still when the fire of life is the hottest. What does that mean and how do we do that? Well, I think there's a lot of examples in Scripture like Job, like Joseph. And uh, when things like this happen, Kim, you know, Satan becomes, you know, it's like, you know, there's blood and Satan becomes like a bunch of sharks and begins attacking and trying to destroy you in any way possible. And for a year after Marcy's death, we had one thing after another that just was horrible. Jeannie lost her job. You know, V and all the kids we ended up finding out has the same thing that Marcy had, so they were vulnerable. Uh, you know, in the month of September, which was a year after Marcy's death, my one niece who I was very, very close to ended up dying. 
Uh, one of my good friends lost $500,000. Uh, another friend had uh, like an, a, a paranoid awareness of just not being able to go outside, one of the people on my staff. And thing after thing happened, and it was just, you know, it was just crazy. You're sitting there thinking, you know, what's going to happen? And the next day something else happened. And so I was really, really confused, and I didn't know what to think at this point. Well, I was like the worst thing could the worst thing that could happen happened, mm -hmm. and I was just like, bring it on. Right. I mean, what mm -hmm. else can you do? And so, right. you know, I wanted to try mm -hmm. to figure out what God was doing. So, mm -hmm. a guy who had lost a child and wrote a book, "Desperate uh, Devotions for a Desperate Person," was coming to town, and so a couple of friends of mine knew him, and I said, "Look, could you try to set up a time to meet with this guy? I really need to talk to somebody that's been in the faith and." been in the scriptures for years and this guy had really been an example of that so i met with him and told him my story and he just said well i've seen this happen a lot of times in my lifetime i'm not exactly sure that this is what's happened but i believe it is and you know uh you know i want, I want to say something to you that i think is very true the reason you're going through all these things is because god trusts you this is one of the most startling and, believe it or not, one of the most beautiful things that I could ever have heard. It was so amazing to hear that God trusts me. And so I say to him, what am I supposed to do? What do I need to do? And he says, just nothing. Just get up and keep being faithful. See, evil can't stand it when we go through hard times and we still praise the Lord, when we go through hard times and we keep looking to God. That's the ultimate warfare. And... So when, you know, when you're in the middle of a fire, just sit still and wait it out. And that is like the most powerful spiritual victory that you can ever have because evil can't, can't stand that uh, even though you're going through hard times, you still trust God. And like Job said, even though he slain me, yet will I, slain me, yet will I trust him. Just like those three Hebrew kids when they're about to be thrown in the fire, God can save us, but even if he chooses not to, we will still praise him. We'll still live for him. Yeah. There's no great witness. I, I think that there are two things. There's no greater witness to other people as we see people like you doing that. And there's secondly, there's no greater way than to glorify God than to uh, give him glory even in times of our great pain and hurt. So, yeah, that was, yeah. That was really powerful. Yeah, you talk about um, you talk about in your book and one of your questions the sacrament of the present moment and how we have to. You write the future never exists, only the present. Uh, tell us about what you mean about that. How do you how do you stay in the present? What how does that bring healing for someone who's listening today? The sacrament of the present moment. Well, any kind of situation like this. You've got to learn to stay in the present moment, you know. And so, you know, like in AA, they say you're only sober for the next hour or for the next minute. And I think with mm -hmm. spirituality, learning to live in the very, very present moment is vital. And here's the reason why. See, the past and the future are the territory of evil. Mm -hmm. And so you look mm -hmm. at the past, and a lot of the past comes out of shame, and so you begin beating down by the shame. And so if a parent who's lost a child starts to look in the past and said, I failed as a parent here, I failed as a parent there, and begins beating themselves down, you know, mm -hmm. uh, before long they'll be in all kinds of despair. Where story of Satan, and when you enter into the past and start thinking too much about the past, the past will beat mm -hmm. you down. And the second thing in the future is like what Jesus says, stay in the day because you know, you don't need to worry about the future. You have enough to worry about today. But see, the future basically, too, is, is the territory of Satan. There's nothing we can know about the future. We spend a lot of time talking about, thinking about things of the future, all of which never came into existence. But there, mm -hmm. fear becomes the operating principle. You begin, fear begins immobilizing you, you know, become thinking. This is a crazy thought. One morning I woke up and I thought, where will I be in 13 years if Marcy's not here? And I became paralyzed for about a half hour. And I thought, and I thought how stupid is this? <laughs> but so you have the, few, the, fear of the fu of fear of the future 
and the shame from the past which will assault you. And so you've got to stay in the present moment. And the thing that I've developed is this statement, to be fully present in the present moment in the, present of the Holy, in the presence of the Holy Spirit. And so that is a vital spiritual principle. You know, that uh, God is totally faithful in the, in the present moment. When we deal with the past, we've got a problem. When we deal with the future, we've got a problem. And just sort of to underline this thing with parents worrying about failing their children, you know, I had a, an imaginary conversation with Marcy, and the thing that I realized is Marcy does not have any sense of wanting to hold me accountable for any of my failures. She doesn't want, you know, any apologies for the past. She is concerned mm-hmm. that God will bring the very, very best to us in her life, and that's her interest and concern. And so, you know, the child that is in heaven has long forgot all the all the all the problems of, of you know of the past and things that we need forgiven for. Yeah. Take take just a minute, you know, tell us tell us about Marcy. What what do you want everybody to know about Marcy? Marcy was beautiful, uh very smart. She was the pipe she was the Pied Piper wherever she went. And you know she she had enormous talents, but one of her you know Marcy's name is basically means a reborn hammer or a reborn anvil. You know an anvil in the scripture is basically the thing that God uses us to form form us. And the thing is, in her death and in her life, Marcy was always helping to form people and and to uh, basically mold and shape them. But she was always somebody that cared deeply about people and had all kind of people that were dependent on her. And, like uh, this one time when we went to pick her up at school at McDonough, what was it for? She had to leave early. What was well, that? what happened is she got into some problems at McDonough. Oh, yeah. And they were thinking about, uh, you know, expelling her from McDonough. She had a full scholarship there. And McDonough is a very prestigious private school. So we met with the uh, yeah. headmaster and we apologized. And he said, well, you're the kind of parents that we want to have here. So we'll try to figure out if we can keep Marcy here. But... So we go over on Monday morning to pick up Marcy's belongings, and we're leaving. There were literally the whole school was behind her. The high school. There were a hundred kids out there at the car, just saying, "Marcy," and our English teacher said, "You know, this one kid that he was so depressed that Marcy was leaving. You know, she wasn't sure he was going to be able to keep living. You know, and Crazy. and uh-huh. I say that said to." in the car I said Marcy I can't believe it. I'm so proud of you I can't believe this and I'm crying <laughs> she's saying oh. she doesn't really have a sense of what's going on but she was just sort of a pod pipe with so many people but she wasn't like this she was this humble caring person and that's why people loved her mm-hmm. not to say she was perfect she wasn't <laughs> perfect but she was pretty close no <laughs> she had the same problems but she was a lover of people um, like you well she is <laughs> What, what did you say, Jeannie? Like Bob. She, she was like Bob with people. They oh. followed her. Mm-hmm. Oh. Well, I, 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 of course, can only see the pictures, and she is she is stunning. She was she's a beautiful girl. Well, we have yep. about 10 minutes left. One of, the, one of the things that I want to ask you is this. What did, for those of us who are, have friends, who have lost friends, friends who have other great losses and devastations in their lives. What did people say to you? And I know you said, I wrote it down, presence is plenty. But I know that there is also, so that's number one, that we shouldn't feel the pressure to have the right words. Bob, I wrote that down and put it a big circle. Our presence is plenty in a time of despair like this. But I'm sure that there were people um, who said other things that maybe helped you, maybe at the at the funeral home or the viewing or, or afterwards. Could you give us some advice on what we could say to those that we love? What is a good what what is a good word for us to share with those who are hurting? Well, I think, you know, talking to people and dealing with myself, people that have lost other people, the best thing you can do is really ask questions about that person and let them have the opportunity to be able to talk about their loved one. Because when you do that interior, there's a sense of, you know, my my loved one still exists. And so 
there isn't much advice that you can give to people, but the fact that you're there and that you're willing to ask them questions and that you're willing to be other focused and you give them a chance to talk about talk about their lost loved one. I think that's mm-hmm. that's the single best thing, even if it's twenty years later. You know, for people to ask me about Marcy just like you did, it was it's really a good thing, you know. It's just that's a very, very redeeming thing. Yep. She's part of our life still. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of people are so afraid to do that because they're so afraid of causing hurt and pain, but it's just the opposite of what you're telling Yep. Yeah. Yep. And I think you have to be sensitive. Maybe some people don't want to talk about it, but I yep. think people want to talk about their kid. They want to talk about what happened when they died, you know. And I know when when she died, there were so many you know, like her friends from Myrtle Beach and Coastal Carolina came up here and we were like, you know, asking them questions. They were telling about experiences they had with Marcy and, you know, <laughs> it just, you know, it was so, it was so great. Yeah, I'm sure. One of the things that you talked about was journaling and I think that is such a health way to get things out and to really – for years, and I still do journal. I feel like that is the listeners. I mean, that that is a good place to start, and just healing is getting it out. Let me ask about each of you. What do you hope readers will discover? What What do you think that they? What do you hope that they gain from from the book? This incredible book that you've written, written when the circle is broken. Well. I'm hoping that they see that they can be honest, and I'm hoping that they see that whatever circumstance that they're in, that God is there in the circumstances with them. He mourns with them, and he loves them, and is very aware and wants to help them. Mm. Jeannie? (laughs) I don't know. I can't think. (laughs) Yeah. Well... I will tell you, it is a book that is so real and raw. How do people how do people uh, purchase your book? Amazon, I'm sure. Is there any other yeah, way Amazon. that they can? Re- mm-hmm. No, it, it's, yeah, that's the only way to purchase it. You know. Okay. So. Okay, and, and if people want to reach you to maybe for a speaking engagement or something, how would they reach out to you for to have you maybe come to their church or do a grief seminar or, or just to share yeah. your story? Well, they can reach us at our, you know, at my email at bob at metaphor.org. We do have a website, okay. metaphor, and that's M-E-A-D-O-W.org. And, um, you, you broke up there for just a minute. Bob, will you spell that again? M-E-A-D-O-W, number four, dot O-R-G. So You're going to tell and also, yeah. Go ahead. Huh? You're going to tell that is? No, not yet. Let's see if we have much time we have left. Okay. What are you going to tell me? Yeah, Kim, we've gotten some amazing stories, by the way, of people that have read the book. And yes. Well, time we have, but the one amazing story is we have some very good friends that come visit us at the meadow every summer. A couple of years uh-huh. before Marcy's son died, and you know they were really despairing for years and years about it, and so they read the, the part about angels surrounding Marcy when she died and escorted her into heaven. And all of a sudden, the lady read it, and then she went back and looked at her journals and said, man, I can't believe this. But she read, you know, he broke his neck in, an, in a trampoline you know, accident. And mm-hmm. so he was, you know, paralyzed, and she took care of him for years. So he had 24-7 care. And the caretaker that was supposed to come in that morning was getting ready to come in, and her five-year-old son said to her, you're not going to be taking care of Ben today because he's with the angels. Oh, that's crazy. You know, <laughs> it was such a relief for her. For wow. all these years, 20 years, she's felt that Ben Ben died by himself, and that was that just like, you know, it just was a beautiful Surrounded with angels. Absolutely. Oh, my gosh. That is, oh, my goodness. 
you know, and that's the God we serve, the God who wants to comfort us and guide us. And we can get angry and frustrated, and that's normal. That's normal. But I love that you shared that we can see glimpses of him, glimpses of his joy, and how that this, these times of tragedy, we really can not only uh, hear of him, but we can truly see him. What a beautiful scripture to leave us with. We only have about five minutes. And well, actually, we only have about four minutes. And I'd like for, um, I would like, and I, I just, I feel like this is so important because statistically speaking, when couples go through what you've been through, they don't draw closer. They they tend to you know draw apart. So I'd like to ask each of you just to take a thirty seconds and Bob, tell me what it was that Jeannie did that has helped you through your healing process of this great loss. And then, Bob, you tell Jeannie and tell all of us, what did she do that really helped you? So who wants to go first? What did the other do that really helped you through this healing? I think that uh, Bob was stronger than I was. I was like a mess. And so I just went right to him and said, you know, you have to help me here because I don't understand Oh, God could do this, and just he was, and he was strong, and so that's really what I just needed his his strength because mm-hmm. I was pretty bad. Oh, I think for me is you know, Jeannie was very unconditionally there with me all through all these processes, even up for eighteen years, and you know she would do different things. You know, it would really help me to remember about Marcy and just. Uh, you know, just her presence was so important, you know, and so whenever we did any kind of exercises in terms of morning, Jeannie was right there in the mist. She was there with the kids. And more than anything, she was just a tremendous help to our children, you know. And, uh, but I think, you know, being, you know, just really keeping Marcy in a very, very, a very important part of our family. Yep. What a powerful hour we've had. I want to uh, end on, there's a page on 67 in the book, When the Circle is Broken, written by, of course, our guests today, Bob and Jeannie Arnold. But I love this. And I, even though it's in the middle of the book, I still want to end our broadcast in it because I just love it so much. Um, and I think that this was probably Bob writing, but you say um, the intimacy of pain. It's in that part. But you said, as the months passed, I began to reflect on what Marcy's life must be like now. One morning, during my time of silence and meditation, I saw an image of her life more vividly. I saw Marcy on a shore, looking back and smiling, longing for the day when we will meet her again. Oh, my goodness. Marcy's life is now completely in God's hands. And I just love... I know, Jeannie, I'm crying too. What? What a beautiful image. Yeah. Marcy, yeah. I mean, what did you say, Jeannie? No, no keep, keep going. Go ahead. No, that, no, that was, that's what I wanted to see, that Marcy, you know, what a, what a beautiful image to have. Um, of course, I love water so much, and what an image of the living water with God. And just that whole image that, um, to me, that just, that in the center of the book made it all a joy in knowing and for listeners for you as well to know that you know in Ecclesiastes there's a time of life there's a time of death but our joy the only joy that is going to sustain us and it's going to give us this picture is when we realize that our loved ones are in the presence of Jesus so let us all be busy today making sure that we know him and not only have heard of him, but we know him and that we are busy about our families being a representation, showing his love and his mercy so that one day when we face such tragedy that we see that there's a treasure in the midst of it, that they truly are in the arms of Jesus. Guys, thank you so much for joining me today. This has been such a this is why I do this show, because it really does reflect hope, and it shows what God can do in our lives. So thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you for letting us in. You're a great interviewer, Kim, and hopefully our crosses will pass sometime soon. But thank you so much for giving us the opportunity to do this story. Thank you.
Absolutely, and they will call soon. So we we will make that happen. And listeners, I want to thank you for once again for coffee conversations of friends of faith to encourage and equip. I know this conversation has encouraged you. I'll see you next time. Bye, everybody. Bye, bye. Bye, bye. To learn more about Kim's books, teaching materials, or to invite Kim to speak at your event, please visit www.kimcrable.org.